0: Well, Caesar did a great job talking about entrusting your heart to Jesus during the Lord's Supper. And uh, maybe another way to think about it in in these terms is when, when you come to him during the Lord's Supper, you're entrusting your past to him. Because there's just not a whole lot you can do about it when you're in that situation. All you can do is rely on his grace. All you can do is ask for help. And a hope for a future. I want to start over in Romans chapter 15. I want to read verse 13. In Romans chapter 15. Verse 13. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul preaches about a truth. Say, what's the truth? Well, that as you trust in God, then joy and peace and hope follow. Now, there's not a one of us that doesn't say, you know, who wants more joy? I do. Who wants more peace? I do. Who wants more hope? I do. Paul says, okay, then you got to trust God. You're not going to find it any other way. You know what Caesar talked about in the Lord's Supper? Is You can't change the past. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus has the ability to wipe away the calloused heart the hard heart, the effects of sin, only Jesus can fix that. You know, our past is full of memories of things we regret, words we said, conversations we've had that wish we could go back and undo. Things we did, actions, our behavior... Moments where we thought, I will never do this. And yet we sit here today with our minds and hearts full of events that we go, How did I get in that situation? You say, We can't fix it. We can't change it. It's already happened. But Jesus can. You know, we've got to be willing to take our heart, just like the surgeon, and say, all right, Jesus, here you go. And what Caesar talked about was all the events of your life leading up to today, to be able to take that, take your heart and go, okay, Jesus, I give it to you. I need your blood. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. But there's two more aspects of your life that we need to trust God with. So I'm starting my sermon with point number two. Because point number one, Caesar talked about. That's why. Trust God with the past. That was point number one. Point number two, trust Jesus with the present. The Bible says one of the most encouraging verses I know of in 1 Corinthians 10. God makes this promise, and, and Paul tells us, and it's just one of those things that's just good to read on a regular basis. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Isn't that good news? I love that verse. That no matter what happens, there's always a righteous choice. It says that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That means it's possible... To be tempted beyond what we can bear. But God says, I will not let that happen. God said, you could be in a situation where you have no choice but to sin. And sometimes in our life we feel that way, don't we? I have no choice. This person made me so angry. I had no choice but to have a fit of rage. It was the only option. No, the Bible says, no, that's not true. It doesn't matter how you feel. There's always a choice. But look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8 and 9. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, same author, two different books. You go, wait a second. He just said we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. I thought he said in 1 Corinthians that God won't put us in a situation beyond what we can bear. No, he didn't say he'll put us in a situation that's beyond what we can bear. What he says is, I will put you in a situation that's beyond what you can bear if you try and do it yourself. You see, there's a big difference. Paul says in 2 Corinthians... That God will put us in rough situations. Why? Just so we rely on Him. I mean, Paul was a faithful man. Paul knew the Word of God. He saw Jesus face to face. It was amazing. He started all these churches. He wrote half the New Testament. He was amazing. And yet, what did he say? In my heart, I felt The sentence of death. You know, sometimes we get this false view of what the Christian life is going to be like. And we think, if I become a Christian, life will always be good. It will always be happy. It will always be joyful. And I am miserable, so I want to become a Christian so I can just have an amazing, happy, painless life every day. You know, that is a lie of Satan. But you know what the problem is with that? Is when we expect Christianity to be that way and we feel the sentence of death in our heart, we go, what's wrong with God? What's wrong with the church? What's wrong with the Bible? What's wrong with my Bible talk? What's wrong with my mentor? What's wrong with my spouse? What's wrong with my kids? What's wrong with my job? I mean, we have a whole list. And whatever you were thinking that I didn't mention, that too. And we pray those prayers, God, what's wrong? And God says, nothing's wrong. You're still in my life's miserable right now. I'm going through hardship. And God's like, yeah. See, so I thought you loved me. I do. Then why is this happening? Because I want you to depend on me. You got any trust issues? You know what all of us do. We all do. Sometimes we have multiple trust issues. But you know, there's some areas of life where we have no problem trusting. And then there's others that are those touchy areas. You know, I remember last trip that we took to Russia, Mike and Robin went with us, and so Cheryl and I, Mike and Robin, and then we went with uh, the Konenjankos, Sergey, big Sergey, and his wife Oksana, and we took a train to Nizhny Novgorod. And you know, it's one of those situations that we're we're at the train station, and you know, we have absolutely no idea, kind of, what to do to get on the right train, where to buy the ticket. I mean, Moscow has all these different train stations, so depending on where you want to go, you got to get to the right one, and you think, oh, you know, I'm a fairly smart individual. It shouldn't be that hard. You know, I've done a little Rosetta Stone Russian, and so I should be able to figure out a train ticket thing. I mean, fairly straightforward. And so, you know, we're there at the train station, and I thought, okay, if I was here on my own, could I get to Nizhny Novgorod? And I just sat there, and I looked around, and I was like, I couldn't figure out where the bathroom was. By the way, you have to pay money for all bathrooms in Russia, all public bathrooms, and it's they're not nice. But I realized very quickly, I can't figure this out. So I just gave the money to Sergey and said, Sergey, can you buy our train tickets? And he was like, yeah, sure, just wait here, and we'll be right back. He gave us a train ticket, and, you know, there's no English on this thing at all. And so I'm looking at it going, okay, now that I have my ticket, let's see if I could figure out. I, I couldn't figure out where to go. I had no idea. But then Sergey's like, okay, we go this way. And, you know, so then there's all these platforms, kind of like, you know, in Harry Potter at the train station where the, the train comes. And there's just, like, all these trains, Then I go, which one? And he goes, this one. And then I looked up and I could read in in Russian, Nizhny Novgorod. And I'm like, okay, I could have figured that one out eventually. This train was so long. It, It was the longest passenger train I've ever seen in my life. We just walked and walked and walked. And I'm looking on there going, how would I know what car to get into? And I couldn't figure it out. And he's like, this one. Okay, I trust you. So we get in there and then there's all these rooms. Which one? This one. You know, I couldn't figure out anything. You know, when I travel, I'm one of those guys that I like to be at the airport three hours early. If it's an international flight, four hours early. It is a source of marital strife. But my, my feeling is I would rather just chill out Where the plane is going to load and read a book and relax, than be worried about traffic on the 405 or security or all that. And so, you know, I'm very controlling with travel schedule. Oh, yeah. You know, in Russia, you know how much control I had? Zero. But you know what? other than the fact that I was just trying to intellectually challenge myself, it was stress-free living. Because I just did what Sergei did. Where did I go? Right here. Okay, which train? This one. What car? That one. What little, you know, sitting area in the car? This one. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't stress about it at all. I just did what Sergei told me to do. For heaven's sakes, we're sitting in the car. We couldn't even figure out how to lift the table. So we had to ask the babushka lady. I mean, she got a kick out of us because we're asking for food. You know, and Sergey and Oksana, they're in a different area. And we're like, you know, so I'm like, chocolate. Yep. That's bread. You know... She comes back in. I kid you not. She just dumps all this stuff on the table. Spasibo. Food. That is thank you for the food. And then we're trying to lift the table up. And we couldn't figure it out. So we have to go down the hall and get her. You know, and she's, you know, it's like your grandmother's running the show there. And so we're like, the table. <laughs> So she goes over there and lifts this latch, lifts up the table, and all four of us, you know, grown adults, are just sitting there. And she's like, anything else? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It was humbling. We couldn't even lift the table. We couldn't figure it out. You know, it's stress-free living when you just do what somebody tells you to do. You know where the stress comes in? When you're trying to figure it out. You know, God is constantly trying to say, hey, just do what I tell you to do. Why? Who says? Well, what if I do and then it doesn't work out well? Well, what about this? Well, I think my way's better. I mean, we all do mental gymnastics. And God's just saying, just just do what I tell you to do. It's so much easier. Yeah, you ever been in one of those situations where you have no clue what you're doing, and so you're just following the person who does? God is putting you in a situation to demand it. You say, why do I feel this way on the inside? Because God is trying to get your attention. You say, well, you know, I don't like it, and I don't want to have to trust him. You know what God says? Okay, then we'll just get more painful. He goes, i got a lot more levels of pain I can dish out. You know, like you ever been in a hospital, and they say on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is the pain? Like you never want to say 9 at the beginning, because if you do, then you can't say it got worse. So, you know, aim like upper middle, like six or seven. That gives you a little, you know, room. But God says, well, if what I'm dishing out right now isn't enough to get you there, then we'll just make it worse. Because I want you to trust me. You know, it's a battle. every single one of us must win. Yeah, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, I don't speak Russian. So, humbling myself to Sergei and the babushka lady on the train. And by the way, that's what they're called. I'm not just making that up. Uh, that's not all that hard to be humble. Because if I wanted to get to Nizhny Novgorod, I didn't really have a choice. You know what our problem is? We think we know better. And God's looking and is like, like whatever gave you that idea? I created you, I created the universe. What, like, what would give you the impression that you might know better? Go to First Peter chapter two. You see, when we fight God. It's a battle to trust. You say, "What in what area? Our commitment? Seeking first the kingdom? Our time? Our money? Our dreams? Our happiness? You know, each one of those is, is an issue of trust. Because you say, yeah, but I got my dreams. And if I sacrifice my dreams for God... Then what if I end up miserable? It's trust. God says, "I made you. I know what's going to make you happy. I know what's going to fulfill you. Just let me run the show. I'll get you there." It's trust. You know where I feel like I have the biggest challenges with trust? Well, look look at the example of Jesus here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 24. He says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? That's not the part where I have the biggest challenge. It says, "But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And where I think the biggest battle I face is to trust God is with people. When I'm sinned against, when I'm let down, when my feelings are hurt, when I'm disappointed, when I was counting on them for something and they weren't there. Or maybe in times of persecution, I wanted to live for God and people that mattered to me opposed the commitment I wanted to make. You know what Jesus did? It says he entrusted himself to the one who judged justly. And then he laid down his life on the cross for them. You got any angst towards people? You know what? If you trust God, it takes away the angst in our heart toward other people. Because we can faithfully look at God and go, All right, God, I think this person's messing up, but I'm going to leave it in your hands You know where our heart gets messed up is when we want to take vengeance, when we want to retaliate, when we want to make sure they know what they did. When did that ever help resolve a situation? It never does. So why do we try it? You know, there's a 100% chance that each one of us will be sinned against. But it's good for our heart. Because it gives us the opportunity to trust God and imitate Jesus. You know, he didn't just go quietly and go, okay, God, I will leave it in your hands. He then went and died for them. That takes a lot of trust. So you got any roadblocks in your heart this morning? You see, Caesar was talking about letting Jesus deal with the past. But right now, what people have done to you involves the present. And you have a decision to make to trust God or hold on to the grudge. You have a decision to make to let God deal with everybody else. And you just trust His leadership. In your life. You say, but if I just put it in God's hands, they may sin against me again. Yep, just the way we've done to other people. It's universal. You spend any length of time with somebody, you'll probably sin against them more than once. But we always risk to let God. Take care of it. But he knows best. Our life can be wrecked out of anger bitterness, depression, discouragement. Not because of what we did, but because of something somebody else did to us. See, so you have a choice right now in the present to say, God, I'm going to put that in your hands so that I can walk away and leave it there and I'm going to continue to love and lay down my life for those people because I'm going to let you run the show. Remember the peace and joy and hope that Paul talked about in Romans 15? It says, as you trust in God. Now, some people want to be committed to God but don't really want to have any committed involvement with the church. Southern California, they call it church hopping. You know why church hopping occurs? Because of this right here. They've been hurt in the past. I had a bad experience at the church. I grew up in this leader sin. This person did this. I saw hypocrisy. So, what does that have to do with you being committed? You know, Satan wants to make it a valid reason. And God's saying, no, just entrust your heart to me. Let me deal with that. Get rid of it. You know, to entrust means that you are taking your heart and you're saying, God, here, you can have it. You say, well, I want to do that. I think I've done that. Have I done it? How do I know? The angst goes away. When you give God control, the pain leaves. You know that, oh, I see that person. I'm going to act like I don't see him. That feeling, it goes away. (laughs) You know, sometimes people say, well, the Bible says I have to love him doesn't say I have to like them. No, we can have whatever fancy saying we want. We're called to love. To love the way Jesus loved. To make a decision. Trust Jesus with your heart. With your present situation. Point number three. Trust Jesus with the future. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is saying, hey, let me deal with your future. Take your heart and give it to me, and your, and your future will be a great one. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. You, know, you ever think, oh, if I was in Jesus' presence... I wouldn't have any problem trusting at all. No, his disciples did. And Jesus said, trust me. He said, I'm I'm going to prepare a place ahead of you. And there's many rooms there. You know, there's no danger of it being sold out. He said, there's plenty of space. And I'm going to get your room all ready for you. And it's going to be awesome. And then you know what? Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you there. Trust me. But he said, you got to make a decision now if you want that. Say, so how does God call us to trust? Go to Romans chapter 10. book of Romans is just a great Bible study about salvation by faith. And, of course, for the Jews, they had their salvation based upon obeying the law, the law of Moses. And Paul's talking about how amazing it is that through Christ we can be justified by faith. And in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, he says, Um, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Paul says, God wants us to trust him. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm preparing a place for you. Uh, there's many rooms and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me. But what do you got to do? You got to trust me. In what areas? He says, with the word of God. You have to trust God's teachers. They say, well, who are the teachers? Other humans. Sinful people. People who make mistakes. You say, well, I don't want to learn from a sinner. I want to learn from God. You know what? That's exactly why God requires you to learn it from another sinner. Because there's not that much trust involved in the perfect person. And God says, you know what? I want you to trust me by using an imperfect person. You know, it's like teaching your kid to drive. There comes, I mean, there's the theoretical aspect of driving. But there comes a time. Or for them to learn, they have to be the one pushing the gas and the brake and holding the steering wheel. And it is petrifying. (laughs) But if they're going to learn to be a good driver, which is what you want as a parent, you've got to make that step. You know, God's plan is that for one person to hear the truth, to hear his word from another person. And that's the only way it happens. There's not one example in the scriptures of anybody who came uh, a Christian on their own. Not one. And the closest thing would have been the Apostle Paul. He's confronted on the way to Damascus. He was called Saul back then. And Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? So he's having this intense... Study with the Lord one-on-one. And even at the end of it, he says, what shall I do? And he goes, go to Ananias and he'll tell you. She said, I'm not giving you the answer. You've got to submit yourself to a sinful person. You want to hear the truth? That's the only option I'm going to give you. You say, well, I want to know the truth then you must trust other people. There is no other way. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, then you forfeit the opportunity to become a Christian. Because that's the only way that it happens. You say, what else? Well, he says, you've got to confess Jesus as Lord. You know, at about 2 o'clock this afternoon, that's what James is going to be saying. That is not just some fancy phrase, sounds really cool to do before you're baptized. No, it is a vital part of the salvation process. Because you think about what that confession is. What you are saying is Jesus, right now, for these witnesses I'm making it public that you run the show in my life in every area every area and you can hold me accountable to that for the rest of my life and everyone else here can too that means if tomorrow I'm not acting like Jesus is lord anyone here can say hey yesterday You made Jesus Lord, and you're not acting like it right now. You need to get back on track. That's what that confession means. You are declaring your trust in every area of life with Jesus. You're going public. Say, not after you're saved. No, no, no. This is one of the requirements to get saved. Because you got to trust him before. You can't say, well, I'll get saved, and then if life works out, then I'll call you Lord. No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus says, no, the trust must come first. Say, what, what else? How, how else are we supposed to trust? He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, you know, we talked about Saul's conversion. When he goes to Ananias, you know what Ananias tells him? What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away. Calling on his name. He said, that's, that's what you do. You say, well, why baptism? Because that's what God says. You know, baptism, you can't baptize yourself. Somebody else lowers you. Somebody else raises you. And God does the salvation process through that. It takes trust. You say, well, I don't want to do it that way. you got to trust. You see, there's no way to become and stay a Christian without trust. And so if you're out there, if you're studying the Bible, you're debating it, and you're like, I just don't want to have to trust. say, well, don't you want joy? Don't you want peace? Don't you want hope? and God is the most amazing person to trust. See, yeah, but we're talking about more than God. We're talking about trusting sinful people. Yes, and God knows those sinful people and God is using those sinful people to work what only he can do in our life. Say, so what kind of future do you want to have? Jesus says, "I got a spot waiting for you." Is that where you want to go? Yeah. Then trust me. You got decisions to make. Say, repent of what you need to repent of. Make Him Lord. You know, sometimes we we start studying the Bible and we get to you know ninety nine percent lordship. We change the easy ninety nine percent, and then we, we've got that one percent. We go, I just don't want to surrender the 1%. You know what? That 1% is what really defines whether or not you trust. That is where lordship is proved with that final percent. When you go, you know, Jesus, you're Lord of, you know, 99% of my life. Jesus doesn't go, yes. Yes. Like what, what's the big deal with the one percent? He said that's that's the heart. You know, God has an incredible plan for you, but in order to be a part of it, trust is required. You know, God will turn up the heat. But it's always a choice. It's not trust if you're forced into it. It's only trust when you make the decision. The joy and the hope of the Christian life is the glory waiting for men and women that say, God, I I will put my life in your hands. Say, will you make that decision? Will Will you break down that barrier and say, yes, God, I will trust. You know, let him run your life. Jesus can deal with the past. Jesus can deal with the present. And Jesus is begging us to let him run the future. What's our response? I pray that it's to trust. As we leave, let's make those decisions so we can play a part in the life, the glorious life, that God has called us to be a part of. Amen.